evidence and answers. America is changing quickly. A new survey by Probe Ministries shows that Christianity is in rapid decline, and the number of those identifying as nuns, those who identify as atheist, agnostic, or no religious affiliation, is growing rapidly in the last 10 years. What can we expect in the near future, and how can the church respond to this challenge? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Probe Ministries President Kirby Anderson, will discuss results from a new survey showing Generation Z may be the generation that ends the Christian influence in America. Now with part one is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, America is changing quickly. A new survey by Probe Ministries shows that Christianity is in rapid decline and the number of those identifying as nuns, those who identify as atheist, agnostic, or no religious affiliation is growing rapidly in the last 10 years. Well, what can we expect in the near future, and how can the church respond to this challenge? Well, to help us address this issue is Kirby Anderson. Kirby is the president of Probe Ministries and the host of the nationally syndicated radio show Point of View. He holds a master's degree from Yale University and Georgetown University. He also serves as a visiting professor at Dallas Theological Seminary and has spoken on dozens of university campuses across the United States. He's based in Dallas, Texas. Wonderful speaker, wonderful author, my former boss, Kirby Anderson. Kirby, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Well, thank you, Pat, and looking forward to talking about this survey that actually you were a part of uh, 10 years ago, and we've updated it since then. Yes, so tell us about the survey. I mean, who was surveyed, and what kind of questions were you asking, and what kind of people were you talking to? Sure. Back in 2010, we did a survey that was focused primarily on what we would consider to be born-again millennials. It was anybody between the ages of 18 and 40. And so in 2010, we had what we called the probe culturally captive Christians. We looked at those individuals who were probably saved in their heart, but not necessarily thinking in their head. And we did really one of the most extensive surveys ever done of the born-again millennials. But 10 years later, we said, maybe we need to update this. So in 2020, we went and did a survey, which we call Religious Views and Practices. And this looked now at individuals 18 to 55. Now, Pat, some of the advantage of that is, is that now we were going to look at the broader group of not just those people inside the church, those people who would actually claim to be born-again Christians, but all individuals of that age. So it did a couple of things. First of all, it gave us a chance to see what has changed in 10 years for the Christian community, and then by comparing it to other surveys, and that could be surveys by GSS or Barna or Pew or a number of other groups, we could begin to see what was happening outside the church. And we did this more extensive survey in 2020 because we wanted to look at all sorts of different religious perspectives and certainly then not only be able to document what is happening with, say, born-again Protestants or other Protestants or Catholics or other religions or what we call the unaffiliated, oftentimes referred to as the nuns. And it gave us a lot of comparison data 
and really gave us a little bit of understanding of what is taking place here in America. Yeah, explain to us more who are the nuns. Now, that's not nuns like Catholic nuns. Nuns meaning N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Explain to us about that group. And these are individuals that when we surveyed, when asked for their religious affiliation, would either write down or type or say, depending on where the interview was done, that they were either atheist, agnostic, or then no preference. Now, Pat, we can recognize, first of all, that there have been some that have engaged in what I think some of the sort of attempts to make people feel good to say, you know, some of those people that say that they're no preference, really those are individuals that maybe are Christians that just aren't part of a denomination. And really, those that have no preference, once they maybe graduate uh, from high school, they take a break from church, but eventually once they get married or have children, they decide to come back to the church. And I've oftentimes referred to that as kind of the field of dream myth. The field of dream, you remember one of the famous lines in there, if we build it, they will come. Well, the reality is we've built 350,000 churches, and now looking at these numbers, we can say, you know, this idea of them coming back to church, it's not happening. As a matter of fact, the number of people by percentage and numbers, but we'll just take percentages, has almost tripled, which is, I think, a striking number to realize how dramatic some of that has been. So the nuns are individuals who aren't necessarily hostile to religion. And that's an important point, because as we're talking about here on Evidence and Answers, Sometimes there's a tendency to say, well, then we need some apologetics, some a defense of the Christian faith to answer the so-called new atheists. And, of course, you've written about that. I've written about that. You've done radio programs. I've done radio programs about it. And there are certainly a number in the category called nuns who would be maybe followers of Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris or Christopher Hitchens when he was alive or Daniel Dennett. But by and large, Pat, what we're finding is it isn't so much that you have just lots and lots of those people in the nuns category or the unaffiliated category that are hostile to Christianity. They just don't see religion as important in their lives. And we've been able to, by doing some of these surveys, really begin to show that, number one, they may have never been in religious services anyway, or even if they were, they've left the church, and they really have no intention of coming back because they don't really see that it's relevant to our lives or relevant to their lives or going to help them with the issues that they're dealing with. And later we'll talk about some of the application, but an obvious application is to show those individuals, however you meet them, that their issues that they're dealing with, stress, anxiety, depression, alienation, loneliness, do find their answers in the church, do find their answers in the Bible, and do find their answers in Jesus Christ. But the nuns category is one that we've been following for many years, but this survey has given us a chance to really kind of understand what they think and how they view the world if we're going to reach out beyond the borders of the church and beyond the walls of the church. We need to understand what they're dealing with, and of course I know that's what you do at Evidence and Answers so often. Yes, and Kirby, to what or whom do we owe the dramatic growth of this group to? 
And I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, as I said, they have for some time not felt that religion was important to them. So first of all, you got a percentage of them that didn't grow up in church. This idea of coming back to church, you know, they'll, they'll come back to church like the swallows to Capistrano. No, nah, it's not going to happen. But they, because coming back assumes they were there. And what I think, first of all, is so striking is, is that they've never had a religious experience. They've never been inside a church or a synagogue. And a good illustration of that is, is that here in Dallas, we have what's called the Dallas Art Institute. One of the people was in my Sunday school class used to be a teacher there at the Dallas Art Institute. And when they would go to museums and then they would teach architectures, they go into various buildings. When she would take them inside a church, Pat, nearly half of the students said, this is the first time I've ever been inside a church. Well, you have to think that means they've never been in church, Sunday school class, never been to a wedding or a funeral in a church. So you can see that that group, first of all, wasn't churched anyway. But then what about the others that were churched? Maybe they did go to Catholic church or Protestant church, or maybe they even went to a Buddhist temple, whatever it might be. They are, as they get older, say, this just doesn't really seem to be relevant. I've, for example, maybe feel like I have to believe in science and often Oftentimes, if you go to the university, they'll say either you believe in science or the Bible, but you can't believe in both. And they say, well, I believe in science, so I reject the Bible. In other cases, they say, well, I've met somebody that calls themselves a Christian, but they don't see any different. Matter of fact, I've, I've met a lot of people that seem like hypocrites, so that's not the case. But for whatever reason, they have, if you will, deconstructed their faith. They may have had some kind of religious experience in the past, or they simply went to a church or a religious service, but they just didn't see it as significant. And given this very secular culture, there have been a lot of things in the media and certainly a lot of things in the university to reinforce that secular mindset, which would cause them to reject the religious ideas. Yes, you know, I think Kirby bring up a great point. We spoke with Oz Guinness a couple weeks ago, and I asked him, how is the evangelical church doing in engaging the culture today? And he gave me, you know, one of his great one-liners, you know, that he gives. He says, privately engaging, publicly irrelevant. And one of the things we talked about is that the church preaches a lot about how to have a good personal relationship with God and relationships with one another. But they don't teach Christianity as a worldview, something that Evidence and Answers and Probe Ministries is all about a lot of these young people, when I'm talking to them, don't see any relevance with Christianity regarding science, economics, government, ethics. On those issues that they really care about, they don't think the Bible has any relevance to that whatsoever. Is that a reason why you think a lot of them just aren't interested or dropped out of church because they just don't see it as relevant? Sure, and now we can even start moving inside the church walls because of the ones that we surveyed that were born again, and by that they mean that they uh, agreed to the statement that I have had a born-again experience in the past that is still relevant to me today, and I believe that I'm saved by grace. When you start asking them some basic kind of biblical worldview questions about God, the Bible, about salvation, and really about who Jesus Christ is, you do get more or 
less biblical answers, but even there we see a drop-off. That is, though 40-somethings are a little more biblical than the 30-somethings, a little more biblical than the 20-somethings. And if you go, as we'll mention later, to the website probe.org, you can look at the diagram, because sometimes it's hard to hear this on radio, but we can show you a very significant drop-off there when you compare that to other Protestants, Catholic, other religions. Of course, those drop off even more. But as soon as you add in a few other factors, other than just some of the questions about God or the Bible or salvation in Jesus, and you add in things like moral truth, do you believe in absolute truth, or do you believe in Satan, that drops off precipitously. And certainly by the time then you get to the questions about things like science, it drops off even more. And you might remember that when we did that first survey back in 2010, we found that what you did was of the just the millennial Christians, you had that about one-third had a biblical worldview and attend church on a regular basis. About one-third did not have a biblical worldview on one or more questions, did not give an orthodox answer and attend church. And then you had about one-third that had did not have a biblical worldview and did not even attend church on a regular basis. So the point is, is that if they're not necessarily even inside the church, sometimes thinking biblically, having a biblical worldview, what chance do you have then of convincing an individual who's outside the church, maybe a seeker, maybe a skeptic, one of the nuns or others, that to actually be involved because what you are not necessarily communicating is a biblical idea. And so if there's ever been a case for why people need to support evidence and answers, it's that you can then equip people inside the church to be able to give answers to those questions to first of all develop a biblical worldview and then to learn how to defend and present that biblical worldview, which is, of course, evangelism and apologetics. So again, I commend you for what you're doing because in some respects this survey has absolutely identified as critical for the younger generations, and that would be Generation Y, those born after 1980, and now what we call Generation Z, those born after about 1996. And so Generation Y is the millennial generation, Generation Z, sometimes called the iGen generation. There's a more critical need than ever uh, to, first of all, teach them how to develop a biblical worldview, and then to teach them how to present that and defend that to the secular world. Yeah, Kirby, your survey states that one of the greatest levels of decline in biblical thinking has occurred among born-again Christians. Uh, how great, you went over that a little bit, but tell us how great was that decline? Well, again, if you look at, for example, the biblical worldview issues, we can see now that uh, whether we look at uh, 40-somethings all the way down to 20-somethings, that you can find at best about anywhere from 32% down to about 25%, depending on which age group you look at, that have just kind of even that basic biblical worldview. By the time you add in some of what we call the expanded worldview, that drops down to, for again, the 40-somethings, maybe about 25% down to about 15% to the others. So just think about how when we did a comparison 10 years ago at 2010, we were talking about at least a full third of the born-again millennials at that time had a biblical worldview. Now, as we see that they're 10 years older, we're down to about 25%. But if we look at the younger generations, and that would be the 30-somethings, 20-somethings, that's down to 15%. So this is what you would actually call a 
a precipitous drop in just 10 years. And so there's two things that have moved dramatically in the 10 years since we did the first survey from 2010 to 2020. That is, you've nearly tripled the number of nuns or unaffiliated by percentage, and you've decreased rather dramatically from, depends which group you want to look at, from 36% to a little bit less, maybe about 25%, or from what was 36% that used to exist for some of the others now to about 15%. And Pat, you don't have to have a degree in mathematics or statistics to look at that to say that if this trend continues, we are certainly going to be in a very different world. And the churches that exist right now in the future may not exist, or if they do, they won't have maybe the vitality that they have right now, or the mission outreaches that we have right now are going to diminish simply because there won't be as many people that hold to an orthodox view. And then, of course, maybe aren't even willing to support those particular ideas and views in the future. So this is a critical area, and as I said just a minute ago, one of the reasons why I encourage people to listen to evidence and answers and to support what you're doing. Yeah, so Kirby, I mean, to summarize it, according to your statistics there, the worldview among born-again Christians, those who hold to a worldview, has been cut in half in over just little more than a decade. And again, that's probably true. Again, you can look at, we break it down for each group and everything. And again, I'm giving you national statistics. What might happen in Hawaii is different than what might happen in California uh, compared to, say, what happens in Mississippi and Alabama or in Nebraska or something like that. So you recognize that there are some differences. And the advantage is, is since this survey was of thousands and thousands and thousands, very expensive but and very detailed, we can actually break it down even more so. And so in some cases you can see that the church tends to be doing a little better in the Midwest and the South, but it doesn't seem to be doing much better at all in the Northeast, the Northwest, or even, of course, where you're located in Hawaii, which tend to be places where there's more secularism and less Christian involvement. And so that's why, again, we need to understand that it's not good news anywhere, but it's a little better in some places, but it's even more significant in others, like where you find yourself doing a lot of mission work. Yeah, so, I mean, if these percentages are right, you're talking anywhere from 70 to 85% of those in the evangelical church do not have a biblical worldview. The vast majority don't have a biblical worldview. That's what these surveys seem to be showing, isn't that right? That is, and again, and that's let me, a high number. you raised that question, that was what uh, some people have questioned when we did these original surveys. I call it the uh, K. Arthur Challenge or the Os Guinness Challenge, because both K. Arthur and Os Guinness, when we presented some of this, said, well, then I don't think these people were Christians. And first of all, you can go back and look at the questions and the answers and say, no, they're Christians. And I think what we have, Pat, is an interesting irony. We have a number of individuals who are less than 45 years of age, and a good number of them are less than 30 years of age, who have had a born-again experience. It's meaningful to them. They actually maybe go to church on some regular basis. They maybe listen to Christian music. But when you start asking them questions about orthodoxy, they are saved in their heart. There's reason to believe they are Christians, but they're not thinking biblically in their heads. And for people that say, well, this is probably just a one-off. Your probe survey doesn't match anything else. As you well know, one of our colleagues at Probe, 
Steve Cable took the time to go through all these other surveys, Barna surveys, Lifeway surveys, there's surveys done by Christian Smith, Baylor, GSS, and the rest, and show that if you ask the same kinds of questions, you get similar answers. The advantage of ours is we tried to ask some questions that the Pew survey and others have never asked about whether you believe you can be saved by accepting Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus, or what you believe about pluralism, what you believe about toleration, and that's, I think, why we can add some, uh, if you will, some specificity to that. But anybody that's listening right now and thinking, eh, I just, I got to believe that's just a weird survey. They didn't ask the questions right. No, we've been able to compare that with other surveys. And when you ask the questions correctly and understand how to filter them out statistically, we come up with pretty similar kinds of answers, including uh, the ones about the nuns, because we actually have one of the charts that show you what we found compared to what other various groups like GSS surveys have found. And you see that ours is only slightly different just because we asked the question slightly differently. But you can see that we are dealing with some really significant issues that um, I'm glad you're allowing me to chance to really talk about today on the radio. Yeah, you talk about issues about salvation, what we call pluralism or universalism. The majority of Christians believe there are many ways to God, not just through Jesus Christ. Tell us about that area of the survey that you did in regards to salvation and how does one attain eternal life? One of the things we did is we recognized that we have seen a problem of pluralism. And I think, Pat, your talk on is Jesus the only way is still one of the best out there. So if people have never heard you give that talk, they should schedule you to do so. Because of that, and because of Michael Gleghorn on our staff and others have written about this as well, we ask some very specific questions, but I will narrow it down to just one. We ask them, do you agree that you can be saved by believing in Buddha, Muhammad, Muhammad and Jesus, do you believe that those are all valid paths to salvation? And we could get as many as 60% of these young adults to agree with that statement. Now, you might say, well, most of those are probably all non-Christians. No, because, again, you can go to our probe website, and you can see that we've broken them down into this. So do you agree? Muhammad, Buddha, and Jesus are all valid ways to God. If you disagreed, again, you had about 40% of the 40-somethings down to about 30% or 32% in round numbers of the 30-somethings, 20-somethings. Of course, you have much less for the other categories, other Protestant, Catholic, other religions, and unaffiliated. It's kind of interesting to see that even some of the non-Christians, even some of the unaffiliated, and I'm only talking about 5 to 10 percent, uh, disagreed with that, which was kind of intriguing. But nevertheless, what you're seeing is, is that just being born again doesn't separate you out as much as you'd like to think, because if you look at the entire group, it's almost two-thirds, 65 but even when you look at those individuals who you would think would be more likely to believe that you are saved only by Jesus, you find that very few of these young adults, whether they're in uh, born-again Christians in uh, Protestant denominations or just Protestants that did not claim to be born again or Catholics, they all pretty much uh, go along with the idea that there are many paths to salvation. And that's why this talk that I know that you do on a regular basis is so crucial because even though you might have these individuals who believe that they were saved by believing in Jesus, they live 
in this culture that's all very pluralistic, and it's kind of this culture of non-judgmentalism. So they say to themselves, well, I was saved by Jesus, but I just can't believe that some of these other individuals who go to these other churches, or they go to a synagogue, or they go to a mosque, or they go to a temple, I can't believe that they're not saved. So on that issue, they hold to a pluralistic view, even though in their minds they believe that they were saved by Jesus. And I think it brings us back to the need, again, we're talking about some of the application, the need for people to hear your message, the need for us also to explain the holiness of God and the reality of sin and how simply good works are not going to get you into heaven. Good works are not going to help you merit favor before a holy and righteous God. And so there's a lot of miscommunication, and sometimes these are even coming from individuals who sit in churches, hear sermons, but don't necessarily understand the exclusive nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, that's well put. You know, and along with pluralism is this whole new definition of tolerance. Tell us what your survey revealed about those who embrace this new definition of tolerance. Well, and again, I've referred to that sometimes as the uh, Princess Bride myth. You might remember the character Mandy Patinkin and Princess Bride said, you know, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Of course, that was the word inconceivable. But I would say that the word that is getting completely redefined is tolerance. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or even schedule a conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources. You'll find we have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcast like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to worship, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaret.